Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It was just a wonderful weekend that we had, wasn't it? It was just wonderful. The Lord ministering to us. Good to be in His presence. Good to be with brothers and sisters. We had a wonderful time. Amen. We're going to almost go directly to the Word, so I'm going to ask that you turn to your Bibles, and we're going to just move right into this service. I've got a number of scriptures I'd like to go through tonight, so if you'll turn with me, I'd appreciate that. Going over to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 18 is where we'll start. Amen. We're thankful to have Brother Dodd ministering here, and I understand Grand Prairie was happy to have Brother Dodd ministering there. And that was Brother Dodd, I can't say junior, but Brother, one of the lesser than seniors. (laughs) Amen. It was um, wonderful to hear the reports of, of God moving and We're living in a tremendous hour. You know, you can look at everything out there, but I'd say we need to look in here and say, God is working in here. Amen. Amen. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. Okay, we're going to start Psalms chapter 18. Got a few verses that I want to read here, but I just want you to move with me, get into the spirit of David as he's talking here in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. His cry came bef- my cry came before him, even into his ears. So this is David on earth crying unto God. And this is what happens in heaven. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and a fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and he did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. Verse 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He shot out lightnings and discomfit them. Then the channels of waters were seen. The, foundation of the, the foundations of the world were discovered. At thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, which were too strong for me. David makes quite an allegory, makes quite a descriptive uh, uh, event of what happened around his prayer and about his being with God and all that God is. And I, I think we need to see 
where we are as a people of God and our relationship with God relative to the world. God sees the world. God's in control of the world. God knows what's going on. Turn with me over to Psalms 29. Psalms 29, verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Siron, like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the, the hinds to calve and discovers the forest. And in his temple does everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sit, sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I'll tell you what, you start reading that a little bit. You're feeling a little down. You're feeling a little discouraged. And I'll tell you what, that puts it back into perspective again. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. How many would say, Lord, remember me? Heavenly Father, we're here. We can say it's just a Wednesday night, but it's not just a Wednesday. We are walking out the final pages of time. We are a people here called by your name. We are a people that's been gathered by your voice. We are a people, Lord, that's here to worship you, to serve you, to express that our King is the King of all, that our Lord is Lord of all, that we are His people and He is our God and He does mighty things. Father, we're here in the name of God tonight. Lord, we recognize we're human beings. We recognize we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes. But Lord, we're here to acknowledge them. And we're here to ask that you would look upon us through the blood of that perfect sacrifice. Father, give strength to us tonight. Wash us, encourage us. Lord, strengthen us through your word. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I'll invite you also in, over into the book of Psalms, chapter 93. This will follow in the same thought of the other verses. We'll read in verse 1, The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He girdeth Himself. The world also is established that it, can, that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. He says, Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the voice, than the noise of many waters. 
yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. I'm going to entitle the thought tonight, The Lord Stirreth the Waters. And I'm going to take it from this perspective of David. Really, my thought is, is, is kind of out of uh, the remnants of a message we spoke a couple of weeks ago when men slept. But I want to do this, and I, I maybe won't take it so much in an evangelistic way, but I want you to just listen. And I want you to think not about the day-to-day -day and the time uh, of, of the week and the next service and who's coming and what's going, but I want you to think in a little bigger perspective. Who am I? Why am I here? What is going on? And where are we? And so I, turn with me to John chapter 5 now. I want to take this down to, the, to our Lord uh, Jesus when he was on earth because Jesus was the expression of God. And, and what David was describing in the Psalms was what Jesus was when he came to earth. So in, and this will be familiar, but this will be in John chapter 5. We'll just pick it up from verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in those lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, of withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, I, I believe we're looking, and we look for the moving of the Spirit. We look for God to quicken things to us. We look for God to make things real. I, I don't want to be living in a form. Uh, this is what we do, and we'll have this service, and we'll have this. But I say we're on a journey. We are not just passing the old cycle. We're on a journey that is moving us forward. It is ushering us into something. And we can't lose sight of that. We need to recognize the step you make today is leading you into tomorrow's step. And you can't go back. And I'll say this. I want to make much of every day that God gives us. I want to move as he's asking us to move. I, if, if the Spirit of God is troubling the waters, I say, Lord, let me be aware of it. Let me move with it because you want to do something. So he says they were waiting for the moving of the water. And this is how it would happen in verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whenever that began to happen, it would say, Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So now God is moving, but it took somebody to be watching and waiting Lord, if you're moving, let me be in sync. Let me be ready, even though the waters look still right at the moment. But Lord, let me be ready for when you move. 
So I, I'm not going to go further into that, but I, I'm just laboring a principle. Now, turn with me to 2 Peter. Now, uh, I, I'm going I'm to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to use a number of scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1. And in, in, in the thought of, of this stirring, I'm, I'm going to take it because Peter actually refers to it twice in this epistle. And, and I'll just pick it up from verse 10. Now, now, Peter, you think about all that Peter had seen and watched and been witness to. You know, he was a man who was acquainted with the water. He fished on the water. He, 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 he knew what, that there, there, was, there was a life behind this water. And water really is representative of people. And, it, and it's representative of peoples, if I can say. So Peter, you know, here he's coming. He's coming to the end and, and, and of, of his time on earth. The Lord is gone. Peter has been with the Lord. He's gone through an incredible journey. But now that God that he walked with is coming and walking in him, showing him things, revealing things to him. And, and Peter begins to express it. And he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. So it, it's not just waiting on the Lord, but it's moving with Him. So there's a diligence required. Yes, you're called. Yes, you may be elected. But there's a diligence that will make it more than profitable. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. Uh, abundantly, not just, just a little drip or drop, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Now, I, let me just stop here for a moment because we are all in the same boat. We've had 1,100 plus message tapes to feed on for over 55 years or whatever time it's been. We've had the same ministry come forth. But, but Peter is saying, he's saying, I am not going to be negligent to stop repeating that to you, to keep saying it to you. Ad advertisements learned a long time ago. You put the message out there long enough and people will begin to be moved by it. They'll begin to be swayed by it. They'll begin to be moving in that direction. You keep repeating a message long enough and people believe it whether it's true or not. And I'll say, but this word has life. This word has something to it. I'll tell you what, you go home and read, you feel down, start reading those, those psalms. And don't read them silently. Sometimes I read it loudly. I read it out loud so my ears can hear it. And I read it out loud and once in a while I say, do you hear that, devil? This is the Lord of glory. I think we need to put it on our lips. I think we need to practice it. I think we need to be serious about it. We need to be real Christians. So Peter would say, he says, though you know it, though you've heard this tape before, put it on again. There's something in there for us. And he says, and he says, and you're established. I'll tell you what, as a minister, I need to be feeding, not just because I have the next service, but for my own flesh that would slowly decreep, creep into the worldly things. I need to be feeding. 
And he says, now Peter, now look, catch where he's at, because he says this now in verse 14. He says, verse 13 rather, I think it is meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, while he's here on earth, and he says this, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Now, Peter, you're going to repeat the same things? Yeah, he says, I, I heard about Noah. He had a message. He didn't preach it one year or two years or three years. He preached it all the time because it was burning in him. And Peter would say, next of all, knowing this, that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So Peter knew it was time for him to go. So here he's giving some words. Now he would, he would go on to tell them, you've not followed cunningly devised fables. He goes on to tell them about, remember what happened on the mountain. And he says, but now in verse 19, he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereby, whereunto you, you do well that you take heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that the prophecy of the scripture is not of any private interpretation. I'll tell you, God's going to make it real. I can make a commentary. I may have a thought. I, and I'll say this. I, I, I maybe have thought wrong. But I say, thank God that he makes his word real. He brings the revelation. Now this is in verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So there was God. Now, you know, what, what caused Phineas, the priest, to, to rise up? You know, when he saw the priesthood of the day, you know, under the time when, uh, when, when, when a priest would take a Midianitish woman into the tent, something stirred him. What was it that stirred him? The Holy Ghost within him. Well, they didn't have the Holy Ghost, but God moved these men. Men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. We're moved by the Holy Ghost. Hattie Wright was moved of the Holy Ghost. You can be moved of the Holy Ghost to witness, to speak to someone, to pray a word in due season. I'll tell you what, the greatest force on the earth is a man yielded to God. And as God would want him to move, so that man will move. That's an invincible force. That's the God we serve. Now, let's just take it one step further. Romans chapter 8. I'm not talking about just getting excited, although it's exciting. But I'll say this moving in the channel. And I, I said I wasn't going to try to be an evangelist tonight, but it's... Anyway, I'll just do what I have to do. <laughs> now, when we pray, Brother Bannon would say, don't say a prayer. You know, like, that doesn't mean you don't get there and you feel zero whether you kneel down or you sit down or you go for a walk, there's a lot of times I feel nothing. But when I get there, and I'll tell you this, you can condition yourself. I, I, I believe, you know, you can have bad habits. You know, it talks about evil communications corrupt good manners. Sometimes you can just be flippant with your tongue, but the Holy Ghost can be a guard of your tongue. The Holy Ghost can be a guard of where you go. 
And we need to exercise our senses to discern between good and evil. That comes by feeding on the word, by spending time in prayer. It doesn't come by, by just meandering aimlessly through the malls and through the streets or listening to surfing the internet or doing whatever, but it comes by a walk with God. Listen, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I'll say it again. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, what is more important, praying or reading the word? And he goes, hmm, that's a good question. Let me ask you that. When you breathe, is it better to breathe in or breathe out? What's the answer? Both. What's better? Read your Bible and pray every day. You're going to need it in this time. Friends, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I don't have the quote in front of me. I was sharing it with Brother Andrew the other day. But Brother Bannum says, the complete invisible union. I, I can almost repeat it because I've read it and it so struck me. The complete insanity of the world today. We see it marching on the streets. Okay? We see it marching on the streets. And he says, right down to the church pew. The complete insanity of the world today. I, I, I can't help it. I, I shared a couple of articles. A church in Oregon is being blamed for an outbreak in their community because so and so many people. But in the meantime, there's been people marching in unison down the streets, but they're blaming the church. There's a woman who, who was witnessing, a blind woman was witnessing in a park in New Jersey. She's been banned from the park because she's witnessing of Jesus Christ. But you can, under the First Amendment and the Constitution, whatever you think is, is right, you can express it. But I'll tell you what, there's a shift. The spirits in the world are turning to an anti-Christ spirit. And we see it happening right in front of us. And if you're not in the Word, you're going to get swept up by it somehow, somewhere. I say, don't be stirred up by that out there. Be stirred up by this in here. Paul gives a principle, Romans chapter 8, and I just pick it up from verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Lord, should I pray for, you know, sometimes we start with natural things. We start with our own selfish things. But I'll tell you what, sometimes when you get lost in prayer, you find yourself calling on for people and for situations, and you begin to see, oh, God, I, I have failed you. I, I said, i got to make this right. and I, I, that, That's the Spirit working. It says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, I, I, I say this. You ever feel real heavy on your heart? And I, and I say this, like, i, I got to go and talk this over with the Lord. That's... That's the moment that you need to act on. 
That's, and, and if you can't act on it right in that moment, purpose in your heart, Lord, i got to talk to you about this. So that's the Holy Spirit. That's men that were moved of the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. That's the Holy Ghost moving not just on prophets and ministers and priests and priesthood, but working on everyday people. I say this, we got to be passionate from the youngest to the oldest. We've got to be as passionate about the gospel as the prophet was. As the ministry is. And I could, I could read the quote, but Brother Bannon would make, make the statement. He says, friends, we've got to be desperate. And he, he, would, he would actually go into it and say it in such a way, he would say, he'd say, you can't be desperate until God speaks to you. So until you allow the Holy Spirit to work on you, he says, oh church, rise and shake yourself. Pinch your conscience. Wake yourself up in this hour. We must be desperate or perish. Now, don't, don't turn off on me now. Just because I'm, oh, I, I, and it's Wednesday night and I gotta do this and I gotta, no, forget all of that. Remember where you are in time. How you act and how you respond tonight will affect you tomorrow morning, will affect you the next day or the next day. So I'll just say this, agree with the word. If you can say amen, agree with the word. Pinch your conscience, wake yourself up. We must be desperate or perish. Now listen to these next words. There is something coming forth from the Lord. He said, I know it as thus saith the Lord. There is coming forth something and we better get desperate. It's between life and death. And this is the most chilling statement out of all of it. It will pass through us and we won't see it. Oh God, if you're going to stir the waters, I want to be ready. I want to be moved. I want to be ready to move as you're moving, Lord. Okay. Now, my, oh my. I've just got off the first half of the page. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm going to take this, not just this aspect of it, but I want to take a part of this to lay foundation. Let me just take this for a moment. Jesus had an effect everywhere he went. The God that David was speaking of in the Psalms when he came to be Jesus. So whether it was merely his presence that told Peter, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Or whether it was his voice gently speaking, maybe at the Sermon on the Mount, he was affecting people. Or whether it was when he was braiding the rope in the temple. I'll tell you what, that was an effect on the people. Whether he was healing the sick, whether he was teaching in the temple, whether he was in a boat in the sea, Jesus had an effect on the people. His voice, they said, I believe in one place, he said, his voice wouldn't have broken a reed naturally speaking, but it was with such power. There was something behind it. Now just go with me to John 14. I need to move this along. I don't want to dwell there. God bless you, Brother Jeff. I got your text. I'll get back to you. John chapter 14, verse 23. 
Now Jesus, these are his last words. Judas has made himself known. Now it's these disciples. Now Jesus is imparting to his, his followers. And he says in verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now it's not going to be Jesus walking with them, but he's going to come into them. This one that had an effect on people. I'll tell you what, if, you're, if Jesus has made his abode in you, and you're in a workplace, you, you, there is an effect you have on that atmosphere of that place. You're, you're a young person in a school or a setting amongst people. You have an effect on people. You might not think you do, but you do. You might have unbelievers and unbelieving relatives, but when something's wrong, who do they call? Remember me in prayer. There's an effect on people. It's the same Christ. He says now, in verse 25, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Drop down to verse 15, and we'll go to verse 26. But when the Comforter is come... Whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he will testify of me, and you shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's actually saying, this is a work of the Holy Ghost that's going to continue even after I'm gone. Old men were moved. They had a portion. But the fullness is going to come into a many-membered people. Now, if you take that word comforter, it really talks in the Greek about a paraclete. And a paraclete is one who is called alongside to help. Romans 8 that we read, We know not to pray as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. So he's one who will continue the work of, of Christ. What is the Holy Ghost given for? To continue the work of Christ. He didn't finish his work on earth in his earthly body, but he's going to keep doing it in, in his body. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and all it takes is a surrendered vessel. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now we'll pick this up in verse 5. Now Paul, now think about this is the first church age messenger. And he's found a young man who has caught the message. And he's admonishing him. He also speaks to Titus and, and he speaks to others. And, and he became friends with, you know, different ones, Aquila and Priscilla and different ones. But, you know, here is... Timothy, he's, he's admonishing him. He sees something in him. And he tells him, first in verse 3, I'll just back up for a minute, Brother Dan. He says, but I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience. Without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. I'm thinking of you. Now he's saying, not I, Paul, the Pharisee, but the one who God called and ordained to be here at this hour. I'm not here because of my own agenda anymore. I'm not here because of the religious move of the day anymore. But I'm here because God called me. Yeah. 
And he says, and he, he speaks from that. Now I'm desiring to see you and be mindful of my tears that I might be filled with joy. He says, now I remember you and the faith that is in you, which I saw first in your grandmother Lois and then in your, in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded it's in you also. And so he's saying, Timothy, it's not just a natural progression. But he goes down and says this in verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So he says, stir up the gift. Now, this has been a misinterpreted scripture. Brother Adam would speak on it. He says, we don't impart gifts. We recognize gifts. And when we lay hands, we're recognizing this is a gift to the body. God gave the gift, but we don't impart the gift. We can, we can help, and, and Timothy is a help to that gift. You know, and he says to these words, stir up the gift that is in thee. Now, think about this. You know, we had some company over last weekend. My sons stirred up, made some juice, started up, it was done you know, just like my wife would like to do things, not at the last minute. She does it well in advance. She prepares. She makes everything ready. So when you stir up the juice, you know, you know, after a while you stir it up. If you mixed it together, well, you know, the, the sediment slowly drop, drops to the bottom. So if you have company over and you bring that over, and it's kind of clear at the top, but as it gets to the bottom, it's got a color to it, how would you feel having to be the first one to pour it? Hey, I'm not getting the benefit of this whole thing. Stir it up. I want the whole thing. I don't want, I don't want the watered-down version. Stir it up. Make something of it. You know, what do you do when you, you make a salad and you put some dressing on? You just leave the dressing on top? No. You stir it up. You mix it in. You do it. It's the same with this message. Don't let it sit idle, but stir it up. Use it to its full benefit. Don't just take a little bit here and a little bit there. Stir it up. Now, let me, let me take, because Brother Branham would talk about that. He'd say, he's talking, he's preaching, <laughs> and, he, and he must have got into a hard subject. I forget what he preached. I didn't copy. He says, I don't hear very many amens here tonight. <laughs> and I go, wow, I don't need to feel bad. <laughs> it happened to him. He said, I don't hear many amens, but that's the truth. He says, come back to the hewing line. Hallelujah. If you want God to return to you with blessings, get back in the harness again. Now, he uses this word, the harness. Now, the harness is not sprawled out on the couch listening to a tape. You can do it. That's fine. But that's not really the harness. The harness isn't, Lord, bless this evening. Thank you for the day. Good night. That's not really the harness. Brother Bannon would talk in a, in a very serious level about a young man. You know, sometimes, uh, Brother Tim Dodd and I were talking, but sometimes you have something so in your heart and you, you, know, you see it gripping and you want to impart that to the people and you do everything you can to impart that to the people. And there's people that you think, Oh, God, let them catch this. And sometimes it's the people that, that, you know, you want to catch it. But it's the people that are already in the harness 
that catch it before the one that you want to catch it. And so, you know, you, you make the altar call. Well, they're the ones that are there. <laughs> and you wish somebody, oh God, let him catch this. Let her catch this. And I, and, and I, I just say that you want everyone to catch it. Now God has a time and a season and, you know, and, and we want the Holy Spirit to move on people. So Brother Ram talks about this young man and he says, he just dropped dead a few days ago. He used to teach Sunday school here. I'm afraid some of his people's here, I'd, I'd call the name. Many of you know who I'm talking to. The man would come to church, he'd go back to the world, he'd come back to church, and then he'd go back. He wanted to do right. He had an experience with God. He was a good man at heart, but he got to fumbling with the world too much. He died a young man. He left the world. Oh, I wonder what his reward will be. Now look at the comment he makes next. Don't do that, friends. Stay in the harness. Oh, my. How does it happen? Just a little sloughing off, a little this. And I, I'm not saying you can, you're fervent, you're desperate all the time, but you know where your weaknesses are. I know where my weaknesses are. I know I'm, not, I'm better in the morning than I am in the evening. So I, I know, Lord, let me make the best of my time with you in the morning. Let me, let, me, let me catch what you want in the morning so that I can make the best of the day, so that I can set the channel. Now he says, if that man would come back to earth today and stand yonder in the city anywhere, the very spot that he died on, he would scream and run towards this tabernacle as hard as he could. He'd say, boy, I'm ready to be soul saved this week. He'd cross the line, but he says, remember, as long as there's an eternity, as deep as there's a sky, he'll never have another chance to save a soul, never have a chance to live for God. He's made his final decision. Now, you know, Brother Adam would make statements, that doesn't mean he's lost. But you're gonna, go, you're gonna go in with that as your record? Or do you wanna go in and say, Lord, I was in the harness, I'm wore out, I'm rusted out, but Lord, I did it for you. There's a reward for that person. Or there's a reward just for speaking to someone. I, I, you know what, there's many things I could read. Pick up the harness and, and take some of the quotes on that. And then, you know, he would, he would just talk about himself in the adoption message. Lord, let me stay on the field. I don't care what the cost is. Let me stay loyal and true that when I come and cross over there, he says, I can see you there, my precious friend, my precious brother, my precious sister. And then he says, young preacher, get in the field. Stay in the harness. All of you young preachers and things, don't just sit around. Don't just sit and do nothing. Go out yonder and win a soul. Do something. Get on. Get moving. Don't stop, young preacher over there. Get, God bless your heart, he says. You listen to his, when he speaks, what house will you build me in 1965? That same desire was in Brother Branham then. Let it be in me. Let it be in you. Okay, I gotta, I really gotta move along. Now, I, I, I took a little bit of this from the outset, but now I'm gonna move this into a little bit of a bigger bigger picture for you. And, and uh, 
Maybe that was just the commercial advertisement before I get into this. There's a number of scriptures I could take. I'm going to skip a couple here, Brother Dan, but I'll take one that I know you like. Let's turn to the book of Daniel. (laughs) Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel lived at a critical junction. The books of Daniel and Ezekiel. Uh, Daniel was a prophet who was of the children that were carried into Babylon. And he served God for, for, for 70 years while he was in Babylon. And you can pick all of this up, you know, right from the beginning when he was carried in, that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. He was under the kings of Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar and Darius and different ones. And all along the way, he had a testimony. Now, now catch the time that he's living in. That's Daniel over there. There was Jeremiah that was back in, 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 uh, in Israel. There was also uh, Ezekiel who was, who was carried away. But Daniel, he picks, he picks this up. So Daniel chapter 9 in verse one man, oh man, I'm not even there. Where, where am I here? I didn't mark that. Okay, let's just read it. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the seed of the Medes, which was made the king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in Jerusalem. So he recognized something. He says, I've been here 68 years. We're, we're closing this thing out. Wow. Let's make the best of our time in Babylon. That's not what he said. Thank you for laughing. Someone. Wow. Let's, let's live it up because this will be our last chance while we're on earth here today. No. No, that's not it. Next verse, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, you, I'm not going to go read the rest of this verse. Daniel was not there to see the sins of the fathers. He didn't see the times that they grieved God and that finally God had enough of it and he says, now you're going into Babylon. I, I've had it with you. Daniel was just swept in it. He was caught up in it. He didn't know anything about it. But he says, I'm here on earth to serve God. No matter where I am, I I never got to live in Jerusalem. I had to live in Babylon, but I'm here. You know, I never got to be this, but I'm here. But I recognize that I'm in a dispensation where now it's a closing out. It's a time, and, and I can't sit idle. Uh, there's something I've got to do. And, and I say, this was a dispensation or a period of time relative to the Old Testament history of Israel. But now we are living at the end of the world. We're living at the closing of the Gentile dispensation. We've heard the last voice. We've seen the final sign. I say, you know, what are we waiting for? Brother Brandon would tell the story. And he would, he, would, he would tell it well, and you can, you can pick this up in, in, in a message spoken um, 
The world, well, it was in the world's falling apart, but that's not the one I wanted here. He talks, there's a woman here in Kentucky. She had a little boy on her arm. She would go into the store. There's just a little boy, a little, little boy, and she'd, she'd show him something, and he would just sit and stare. And she that's not right. A little boy in a candy store and with glittery things and how come he's not responding? And she went to another counter and she picked up something to that little boy. He'd just sit and stare. Now he, he says, after a while she picked up a little bell and she began to jingle it. And the little boy just scared, stared. She started screaming and threw up her hands and the people in the 10 cent store was going, my little boy is only three years old. I took him to a doctor about a year ago. He just sits and stares in space and the doctor prescribed treatments and things and the doctor told me I thought he was better but I've shook everything before him that ought to attract a little boy of his age. And he says, but everything that should attract him, he sits and stares. Now that, that's terrible. And Brother Branham goes then right into this thought. That's something like the Pentecostal church of this day. God has shook every gift in the Bible before them, but they still sit and stare into space. Something is wrong. He says, God don't shake these gifts unless he's trying to attract your attention. God was bringing a nation out of a nation. Now he's bringing a bride out of a church, leaving the remnant. The elected will be brought. He says, now he's, he's taking it to us. Now, I'll say this. The bride is attracted by the word. The bride is attracted by the manifestation of God. And I just say this. Satan can impersonate every gift. But the manifestation of God to fulfill his word. Now it's not just a letter, but it's with signs and wonders. It's not just for the sake of signs and wonders, but it's the manifestation of the word of the hour. That's the attraction. This is in the voice of the sign, 1964. Invisible Union. Friends, we're entering the rapture age. The church can't go in its condition. It can't get better. It's going to get worse. It's got to get worse. It can't go like this. It's got to be something. And now listen to these words. It's moving right now. And he makes this statement. It's, it's, it's on the move is on for the bride. That's right. That's thus saith the Lord. The move is on for the bride. Oh, friends, something caught me. I was a young man raised around all of this, but something caught me. Does that mean it's just a one-time move? No, it has kept moving me. It is still moving me. It ought to be moving us. Are we just staring and looking in space? There's another message Brother Bannon would preach and he'd say, what does the church want anymore? What does they want anyhow? Friends, like I, I, I'm saying this with, with God just making this very real and I'm seeing a world 
that is literally going insane in front of us. People are losing their minds. I said, it ought to shake us. Because I see, I see scriptures that I've read for years, message books I've read for years. They're real. They're, they're unfolding right in front of us. How can we sit still? Now, I'm not just saying jump up and throw your hands, but how can you sit idle? What kind of a life are you living relative to the time we're in? What did Daniel do because of the time he was in? I, I, I'm, I'm just bringing this now. I know we've heard this many years. But I'll say this. When God starts moving the waters, and I believe God is stirring the waters. Now I'm going I'm to put this into another context here. And, and I, there's quotes I can read and different things I can say, but Brother Dan, can you put on that PowerPoint for a moment? And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this in a, Maybe do this over a few Wednesday night services or something like that. Because it's just been on my heart. This has been on my heart for a number of weeks and months or months now as I've been doing this. But I want you just to take this now as a bigger picture. This is the Old Testament books of the Bible. So here we have, this is in chronological order as they were done. So we have over here Genesis on the far uh, left of the screen, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges. Underneath that we have Leviticus, Deuteronomy. There's the book of Job. There's the book of Ruth under the Judges. But then it moves into uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Uh, it, it goes into it. And underneath this is the Chronicles, which doubles up on some of the information. So this is like time being expanded. So... The, the, the books in the Bible are not in order. So, so Genesis, this is the time of the Exodus. Now we have second Sam, first and second Samuel. Then there's the kings. And, and, and then at the end of the kings, there's a break here. But all these books, look what happened under the, under the first and second Samuel. There was Amos and Hosea. They were minor prophets in that time. Sometimes when we go and we look at what these men are prophesying, we see the Spirit of God moving on them according to the conditions of the time. And it's important to see that because God does not change His mind about His Word. If He acted that way back then, He's acting the same way today. And we need to see this is the same Jesus Christ. Now, also under the kings, we have Joel, Micah, Isaiah. Listen, I've got another diagram that might be a little better. Uh, no, I, I'll go back to it, sorry. I'll come bring it up later. But Joel, Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah, they're all under the kings. Then there's Jonah and Nahum and Obadiah. They're, they're also there. They've got different categories. I'm going to bring this up again. But I'm just trying to get you a chronological, chronological picture. Now also in this time... That's when you have some of the poetic books of the Bible, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, the Lamentations. But there's a real line that's drawn here. And it's right where this little circle is. And it's the 70 years of exile. Now, Daniel had prophesied that there would be a certain period of time for the Jews. This is still a part of that to be fulfilled. 
But under the 70 years of exile, there was Daniel and there was Ezekiel. Now on the return, coming out the other side, there was two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And there was minor prophets called Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then also in this time was Esther, the queen. Now, I, I don't expect you to remember all this, but I'm going to bring it up again. This is the tabernacle in the wilderness. The house of God, you will. He called the people out. He gave them a house. This is, I always love this picture. I saw it so many believers early in my Christian walk, and it was just dramatic. The pillar of fire over the house of God, the, 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 the tribes gathered around. But, you know, Israel, that was in the journey. Now they got to Jerusalem. They got to that place. And Solomon, David had a desire to build a house, but Solomon was the one that built the house. And Solomon, it was a supernatural work of God. Now, let, let me just drop this in for a moment. I, I, I took this a couple of Sundays ago. But when God was wanting the sanctuary built, the first temple, if we remember in the book of Exodus, and it was in chapter 8, I believe, and it said, God put on the hearts of the people to give. In other words, he stirred them. He moved them. He did something. It wasn't God just taking, okay, I'm going to do this. You watch me. No, they were a part of it. We are a part of it. So, so I, I, I'm taking a principle here. God put it on the hearts of people. He endowed certain people with gifts for the benefit of the body. Now I'm going to go back. Brother Jake, just take the lights for me again. So Solomon now, he also is entering into that type of thing. And, and Solomon is inspired. And he gets wood, the cedars of Lebanon. He gets rock from a quarry, but it was such a supernatural work. It was so supernatural that over there, God was working on the hearts of somebody. Over there, God was working on somebody. But when they came together in the temple, they fit together perfectly. So the same God that built the first temple was there at the second temple that, that Solomon was building. And, and I could say much on it, but I'm going to keep going. So they're, they're, they're building this temple, and Solomon saw a young man, Jeroboam, that was industrious, and he hired him and did things. You know, and he's overseeing this great work of God and this temple. You know, he came at it with humility. And this temple was a glory. It, it, so much so that the kings would come. The queen of Sheba came, and, and it, was, it was talked about around the world. And this great temple that was there. Now, in between, after Solomon, who didn't follow what Moses said but took many wives, started to worship other gods, there was a decline. The nations were separated into Judah and Israel. Kings of an inferior quality came, and it was a decline. And finally, God was so tired of it. He said, okay, it's enough. And there was another king in a far-off country called Babylon. And actually, we'll, we'll get to the scripture in a moment. But who stirred his heart? God stirred his heart. I'm, I'm going to ask you this question because I want you to think. Who's stirring the hearts of the leaders today? 
Who's, who's stirring the hearts of the people today? Uh, there, there was an article that was sent to me about the, the whole movement that, that's just coming out right now. The public opinion has changed on a level that is unprecedented. And they're all caught up with it. And, and I, I think there's, if I can say it, some of the cause is right. Some of the way it's happening isn't right. And I, 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 I'm going to put it into another light. I'm going to say, just because abortion's wrong, we're not out placards in front of every abortion clinic. It's wrong. But our kingdom is not from down here. Okay? Now, who's stirring all those people? Now, let's, again, I'm sorry, sorry, brothers, but I'll, I'll just go back to it now. So over in another country, there's a king in Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And one day, like an idea comes into his head. Ah, yeah, I want some money from that nation. Who, who put that idea in his head? God stirred him up. He stirs the people. He stirs the waters. And when, when a king named Zedekiah wouldn't listen, finally Nebuchadnezzar had enough and he sent his army. And this glorious temple of Solomon was reduced to now armies coming in. And, and, and it began to be burnt with fire. Uh, think about what's happened here. Think about America in its glory and its religious freedom. Think about Canada that had a godly premier in this province at one time that would not allow Sunday shopping. This used to be like the, the heartbed of religion. It's long gone. Look at the ruins of what God put in the hearts of his people to build a house for him. And now it's in ruins. And the princes are carried into Babylon. But God made a promise. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. Now here, here is this chronological order again. So Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Underneath that's the Chronicles. Now I, I want to focus right here for a moment in the 70 years. And I want to go into this part for a little bit. And I'm going to take a few services on it. But I, I want you to notice the context. There's Ezra, there's Nehemiah, there's Esther who's here. There's Haggai, there's Zephaniah, and there's, sorry, Zechariah, and there's Malachi. And they're all part of the restoration that God once put forth. So it's actually a type of what God is doing now again. Okay, now I'm, I really have used up my time. Go with me just for a moment. I'm going to take a couple of scriptures. First, Second Chronicles 36. Are you still with me? Thank you. I appreciate that. Second Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to pick this up from verse 11. Now, this is the end of the book of Chronicles. This is the last of the kings, which Zedekiah, who was 1 in 20 years. I'm going to come back to just before this. But he reigned 11 years. It says in verse 12, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck, he hardened his heart from turning to the Lord, 
God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all of the abominations of the heathen, and they polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed, hallowed in Jerusalem. So this is the setting as they're going in. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers. Now, now here it's being chronicled of what God had done all this time. The Lord had sent to their fathers messengers rising up, sending them. He had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But verse 16, they mocked the messengers. They despised his words. They misused his prophets until the wrath of God rose against the people till there was no more remedy. It was beyond saving. Friends, where is this world at right now? There is nothing left but the wrath of God that's got to come on it. There is no more remedy. You can't get a straight politician that'll tell it straight and be truth. It's gone. Verse 17, therefore, because it was to this state, therefore he brought upon the king of the, them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. They had no compassion on the young man or the maiden, on the old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. Who did this? God did this. Why? Because of the state they'd got to. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burnt all the palaces thereof with fire. They destroyed the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where their servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of per Persia. All of this done to what? Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths for as long as she lay desolate she kept the Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. That's another message. I'm not going to get into that. Let me just take this, a couple of principles to kind of close maybe where we'll stop tonight. But go with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Now we'll just pick this up from verse 9. You, you, you want to catch the picture, but this is right after Solomon had started turning his heart to strange women. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here, look in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord had commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will rend, surely rend the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. 
Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it, but for David thy father's sake I will not rend it out of the hand of thy, but thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake which I've chosen. So God says, this is my intent. Now, do you think God's just sitting by idle? No, he starts moving. Next verse. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, who was of the king's seed in Sodom. Now, you can read more of this if you want. But I'm going to say it this way. If you're a child of God, and you don't listen to God, and you don't take God seriously, watch for God to stir up something to bring you into line. Because he loves you. He's not going to sit by idle. He wants to bring his children to their place. Remember how Brother Branham was with Billy Paul? Billy Paul was not living the life. Brother Branham couldn't have him do certain things. And he let him go and he was in a hospital crying. And Brother Branham would come back and made, according to Brother Billy Paul, the statement, you did the sinning, you do the repenting. Now, the Lord stirs up things. Turn with me over to to verse 23, same chapter. And And God stirred up him another adversary, Rezon, the son of Elda, which fled from his lord Hebuchadnezzar, king of Zeba, and he gathered men unto them, and they became the captain over the land, whom David slew of them. So, and verse 25, and he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Sodom. Besides that, there was the mischief that Hadad did, and he abhorred Israel, and he reigned over Syria. You know, David gave one of the most responses. David was a tremendous man of God. He was a king. He was a musician. He was a poet. But he was also a man after God's heart. And a part of that was he knew how to repent. And one time he was being cast out of his kingdom. Absalom had cast him out and he was running. And as he's running, here comes somebody of the house of Saul and starts throwing stones at him. And Job says, I'll cut his head off. And David says, no. Maybe God told him to do it. Wow. I I, I, want to be right with God. I don't want to just cheat and get by. I want to be sincere. I want to say, Lord, you're God and you're worthy. You're worthy that I shouldn't get by with anything. You're worthy that I should serve you honorably. Now, there's a part of this that I really, it's going to be another service, but I want you to think, I'm laying some seeds for some of this. Now, just over quickly, 1 Chronicles 5, just just establish the principle. I'm going to just take a few more minutes. I know where we are at in time, but some of you don't have to drive home. Some of you do, so forgive me. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and this, is, this will pick it up in verse 26. This is the same principle where, and they transgressed against the God of their fathers, and they went a whoring after the gods of the people of the land 
whom God destroyed before them. Now listen to the next verse. They did all of this. You don't get away with sin. You don't. And if you do, I'll just say this, maybe there's no seed to quicken. I say this, God, don't let me be deceived. Verse 26, and the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, the king of Assyria, and the spirit of Telgabinesir, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, even the Reubenites. So who did this? God did this. Outside of this message, I, I would say nobody has ever put it in this light. When we saw the Holocaust of Israel, and we would say, that was terrible. And a prophet can say, that was the tender hand of Jehovah. Sometimes we see God dealing with someone sovereignly. I say, we need to let God have his work. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this on one side right now. There's other examples I could take in the Scripture. But go with me now back to Second Chronicles. And uh, I'm going to take this the other way. Second Chronicles chapter 36. This was the Scripture we were just at. And this is, really, if you take this, this is just at the end of the kings, going into the 70 years, and, and uh, the next book is the book of Ezra, which we'll come to more fully. Now, in verse 22, we hadn't gone this now. It's actually included in the Chronicles, but if you take these first three verses of Chronicles, they're actually the same first three verses, or the same verses that are in the book of Ezra. And Ezra is the priest that is coming back in the season of restoration. Now, as I said, God is stirring, and I believe the things we're seeing, God is allowing or stirring, just like in the time of Micah, where, you know, God saw that they were doing something wrong, and, and they wouldn't listen to Micah, and he said, and he says, who will cause them to come? And a lying spirit came up and said, I'll do it. Yeah, okay, you'll do a good job. Go ahead. I'll get in their prophets. I'll cause a lying spirit. God allowed that. God stirred that up. Now here, now this is now at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. There's a big gap here between verse 21 and 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be accomplished. So 21 talks about 70 years. Now the chronicles dictate, okay, the 70 years are over. I'm going to fulfill my word. I'm not going to let it sit idle. So how does God start moving? There's a king named Cyrus. And it says now the next verse, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. He was sitting there in his temple on his throne one day, and he's going, you know, it's been a good time. We've had all this. Hey, what about these Israelites? I was reading in the articles, hey, you know what? I feel like doing something. I'd say, God did that with the man that was in the White House right now. Hey, what's the embassy doing in Tel Aviv? Let's put it in Jerusalem. Hey, do you think God can take and work with kings? Absolutely he can. And God is working 
There's a wheel in the middle of the wheel, but there's a big wheel. And God's making it all work together. And he says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And he made a proclamation through all his kingdom. And he put it in his writing and he said, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth has the Lord God of heaven given me. Wow, what an attitude. That wasn't Nebuchadnezzar for a season. He says, And he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? I'll tell you what, if I was there, I would have said, I'm here. My hands are up. I'm ready to go. I didn't want to say, no, I like it in Babylon. I I, I like the Laodicean way. I I, I like this time that we're living in. No, there ought to be something in your heart that says, God's moving. I'm going to move too. God's stirring this thing up. I'm a part of it. Who is there among you all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. <laughs> let us go up. <laughs> Let's have the musicians come. I, had, I, I just got halfway through. Didn't get to the last part, but that's okay. I said I'm going to carry this over. I want you to think about this restoration. And I, I'm going to say this this way. We've heard this in our churches. Brother Branham came, the seals were opened, the word was restored. And we act like it was out there somewhere in space. No. We are a part of the restoration. God needs human vessels. He needs people that will be a part of it and show that his kingdom is coming back into power. People that will pray and say, I am not a part of the system that is going into what the great whore is. I am not a part of this Laodicean spirit. I am not just a part of the historical part of the message that points back to something. But I am a part of what's happening right now. I got more to say on all this, but I trust I dropped some seeds in. The Lord stirreth the waters. The people are the waters. That doesn't mean he's just stirring, you know, just Brother Branham. No. He actually stirs ministers. He actually stirs some young people. He stirred Brother Max one day. He's stirring others here today. He's stirring some of our elders. Listen, I I love the part when you get to, uh, when, when under Moses and Joshua, there's a man named Caleb. And the Bible says he had another spirit. And he had another spirit about him. He wasn't just accepting whatever came his way. He says, no, give me my mountain. Give me what God has given me. Let's stand together. I like the song, Brother Dan. Let's go with it. Who is on the Lord's side? Who is stirred up? Who's saying, ah, you know what, Brother Ed, I'm a little comfortable right now. Maybe when California starts to go down, I'll get, no, 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 it'll be too late. When the prophet said, the move is on for the bride. Thus saith the Lord. 
I'll say this. Let's start moving. Go ahead, say it to me. Who is on the Lord's side?